Welcome to the Awakening Shalom Podcast. The Awakening Shalom Podcast is an opportunity for digital faith formation at Myers Park Baptist Church that accompanies the Awakening Series, a year-long journey of exploration and discernment which invites all people to come learn about the current social justice issues of the day and how they impact our faith. What we are awakening to is Shalom. The Hebrew word for the peace and beauty that exists when we are living in right relationship with God, ourselves, other human beings, and all created things. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our Awakening Shalom podcast. We are in our podcast series entitled Upamane. Um, there is a member of our congregation who actually speaks Greek pretty well. Um, and so, Artemis, I'm working on the pronunciation. Be patient with me. <laughs> Upamne. She was trying to tell me how it comes out. But this is a word that is used often in the New Testament, particularly um, throughout the Gospels. But even in the Revelation to John, we see this word used over and over again to talk about the perseverance or the patient endurance of the saint, mm. of the people. Um, I love reading different translations. So King James Version is pretty pretty consistent. They just use patience. Um, and then you get like mm-hmm. NIV, uh, and they're using patient endurance. But then you get to the NRSV, which is using perseverance. So I like looking at the different ways in which this has been translated. But we're really focusing on how are people doing in the pandemic? How are they persevering in the pandemic? I'm Mia McLean. I'm here with the Reverend Dr. Benjamin Boswell. Thank and you, Mia, have, for that introduction. <laughs> we have a special guest today that most of you probably know, or at least have been in her presence before, um, a, a wonderful facilitator at our retreats, um, and just a great thinker. And she also joins us weekly on live, on our live stream on Facebook. I always see her name pop up. So welcome, welcome. Introduce yourself. Feel free. Oh, thanks so much for having me, y'all, Reverend McLean and Dr. Boswell. I am Dana Trent, and I am a big fan of Myers Park Baptist Church. And a beloved, I like to think of myself as a watch care distant member, perhaps, if I can give myself that title, because you all are beloved to me. I am a Baptist minister, but also a community college professor, author, speaker, retreat leader, wannabe TikTok dancer, you know, all of those things, the Venn diagram. Of, of what it is to be me in my 39-year-old, you know, body. And so that's me right now. Tomorrow it might be something different, especially as we navigate this pandemic. Yeah. Dana, just for our folks who, who know you but don't, don't know you know you, can you talk a little bit about the, the books you've written and the sort of the areas of your work and research and writing? Sure, absolutely. So I've written four books. And they all have the theme of, they all reside at the intersection of faith and crisis. And so my first book is about my interfaith marriage to my devout Hindu husband. So navigating that relationship. My second book is about Sabbath, when I needed a much needed Sabbath rest journey, a rediscovery of faith, if you will, in the midst of crisis. My third book is about Christian meditation, and my fourth book is about navigating grief, so modern grief, but especially through the lens of what it was to be an end-of-life care chaplain and also 
the daughter of a dying mother. So those are my four areas of, of expertise, if you will, and my interest. But again, it's they all reside at the intersection of, of faith and crisis. Mm. Well, boy, it's a great moment. Uh, this yes. is why you're, you're being interviewed on television a lot. I see that. And I think they're, they're calling the right people to talk to, clearly. Thank you. You're very kind. You're right. Well, I, I just, yes, it, um, I'm very comfortable in a crisis. And so I'm, I'm grateful that, that folks are, are seeking out my help because as an Enneagram too, like that, that, that keeps me going, having purpose, being helpful, being useful. And so these books have really been a lifeline for me. I, I wrote them to discover what I needed amid the crisis, but I also wrote them so that in turn, they could be a companion for other people. Mm, mm. Yeah. Well, we want to dive right into crisis with you yes. since you are okay. an ex- expert on crisis. Um, of course, there are, no, there are no real experts, but as much as experts <laughs> right. go, you're an expert on this. So talk a little bit personally about, so like what was your work and life like pre, pre-pandemic and what has shifted for you? What has stayed the same and what has changed? Mm, it's a great question. So pre-pandemic, and I can actually, much like a death or a, a sudden loss, I can visualize myself in this space when it happened. Mm. And so on Friday, March 13th, I saw my students for the last time in person. That's the last time I was in a classroom. I'm a full-time community college professor. I teach 180 students per semester in six seated courses. Mm. And so that was my that was my daily life. I woke up at at 5.30, I went to go teach at the YMCA at 6 a.m., so that's a whole nother community at the YMCA, and then I was off to our community college campus to be with students all day, and I, I knew saying goodbye to them that Friday that I may not see them for the rest of the um, month, you know, if you will. I thought, okay, we'll be out for two weeks, and then we'll, we'll resume courses after spring break, and so I just distinctly remember that shift of Friday the 13th, teaching in a classroom, and then what I would have done next would have gone into the weekend, done my speaking conferences, retreat, keynoting, working with churches like Myers Park, and all of that just vanished. It just stopped. Everything disappeared from the classroom to the YMCA to church retreats to conferences to keynoting. It just disappeared, much like a death. And so for me right now, work life feels like a collective loss, both um, for us in our various spaces of what we used to do during the day, but also a collective loss of who we are because we don't have those spaces, at least for me, those spaces mirrored to me back who I am and what my purpose is and was. And so that's been very difficult for me to navigate um, these past two months about who am I? when I don't have that space to reflect it back to me. I resonate deeply with the way you were describing connecting where you were on the 13th and how um, that helps situate you. I'm, I'm very similar in that way. When there's moments of crisis, I remember the day that it happened or the day that everything shifted <laughs> and changed and, um, and I go back to that day often, right? Whatever, I guess, for, 
a week, but that definitely that Friday was something, um, so uh, something was happening and it wasn't very clear, but we knew that it was happening. There was a lot mm-hmm. of there yeah exactly and and y'all and um y'all have probably read a lot more on this than i have but you know there's so much science behind this too this embodied memory trauma when crisis happens how our brain really digs into that memory and puts us in that space and that time and i think for a lot of us we're having a series of those moments mm. and, and you know, like you said you know friday the 13th we everything was so uncertain if you know we're sitting here you know now in late may and it's like we would have never guessed we would be here in Mm mid-march it's just it's so embodied and it's so um strange but yet vivid very vivid in our brains our memories and i can feel it physically too Mm -hmm. yeah interesting that you say that that's bringing up for me you know you talk about how you are in a crisis and what how your body reacts not just how your mind reacts and you think about grief and loss and you're re-triggered back to earlier losses and griefs and traumas and that's happened for me a lot personally as well but also in a crisis my my revert back to is like military training because it's so embodied so the first thing that happens to me is i get like a shot of adrenaline that says now is the time of crisis it is the time for action and wow. decisive action. So, but that only lasts for a while, right? Like that, <laughs> right. that's great for a little while. And then, and then it's just very deflating. So the lows, mm. the highs are this, just, it feels like a shot of adrenaline mm-hmm. um, and like you're ready and like you're getting ready to come out of the foxhole and fight, the fight kind of I, feeling comes over you. It's time mm-hmm. to be vigilant, to be alert, to be ready. Um, and then suddenly you just have these big drops of just, just down to like, oh my, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to do. There's really no, this is not a fight. This is just a, um, I mean, there's decisive leadership that's been needed. So that's been helpful Mm -hmm. to have that adrenaline. But I, I think the, the ebbs and flows of the roller coaster of emotions and when the adrenaline dies midday and there's nothing going on. You know, it's been it creating a rhythm around that and, and practices around that and a new kind of daily routine uh, mm-hmm. has been the only way to kind of deal with the drop off of the adrenaline rush. Yes, exactly. Yeah, totally. And I was actually going to ask y'all that if you've been having those sort of ebbs and flows as pastors on a, does it happen on a weekly basis, a daily basis? Because it, you're, you're, um, you're, you've had to recalibrate what the center is on Sunday, right? What the, what the central part of community gathering is. So what does that look like for you in terms of the ebbs and flows as you now look back to March? Has it been sort of spikes in adrenaline um, as you approach Sunday or what does it look like for y'all daily and weekly? I think at first we were all just like, let's do all the programming, right? There was just a, there was a very much like, let's replace everything we were doing in person, put it online. We're going to, we're going to be the, you know, one of the first churches that actually is able to make the transition. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for me, at least I can speak for myself after Easter, it was just like, I mean, there was all this energy to even get to Easter, right? So making our look better. And I mean, there was all this creativity and effort. And after Easter, I was like, (laughs) what what are we, Mm -hmm. what's happening? What are we doing? Um, 
and and for you know we've had we've had these consistent um, on and off periods. I think a lot of we we have a lot of special services after Easter, and so there'll mm-hmm. be a regular week and then like a special week, and so that's kind of been as somebody who's been in charge of putting the service together, that's kind of been like this for me. Mm-hmm. This week, yeah. this Sunday is a regular week. Ben's preaching. <laughs> Right. right. Just a regular week. Last Sunday was like a whole production, right? And so that affects kind of my adrenaline. How much do I need? Mm, so it, it's it's been interesting. I don't know how Ben feels about it, but, you know. Wow. So even the liturgical seasons have informed what you would normally do. So for and what I'm hearing too is like Lent became Easter, but really it was kind of like Leaster. I'm calling it Leaster because it still felt like <laughs> Lent. And now we're here. We're going to have Lentecost in <laughs> this Sunday. And it's yep. just yes, okay. So I, I hear that with the the liturgy and craft. And y'all did such a great job. You were the first service I watched online and it was the jazz Sunday service and the jazz group. And they, they actually did a few Sundays and that was so life giving. I remember I cried through that service because I thought, Oh my gosh, we're having church, but we're having church in this, in this very different way, but it feels so real and visceral and I'm here for it and I'm excited, but I hear what you're saying. Like I can only imagine that the work and energy and that takes place and crafting that every week in such a different way than what you're used to has got to be exhausting. Yeah. yeah. I was in those first few weeks, I was still having church myself. I mean, the one right. incredible yes. thing about being pastor at Myers park is I don't just serve and lead worship, but I also feel like I'm participating in worship as a part of the church, which has not always been the case at other churches that I served where I was mm-hmm. not feeling that feeling the whole service as a part of my own worship as well. Um, and so those first couple of weeks with the jazz group, it was me and the jazz group and, a, and somebody video recording. I was like, this is church for me. I'm sitting there listening to them live two feet yes. from them. You know, it, it was just me. I felt like it was my own private concert. You know, it was amazing. <laughs> you know? Some of the best worship that I've had in my life is those first yeah. two weeks. And then we get to the, the pre-recording and the recording, which um, Mia ushered us into with some encouragement. <laughs> Thank God for her doing that because we were going to go kicking and screaming because um, we didn't know how to do it. It was new. We had no clue. We'd never done it before. Um, so that changed everything for me. So my, my experience of what I was doing and how I then experienced my, my work and, and the act of preaching and writing and, and then watching it later after you've done it and uh, totally changed the process for me. So I have, I'm a very sort of ritual being. I have a very, I have a rhythm of what I do when I do it, how I do it weekly, like a weekly mm-hmm. rhythm, a daily rhythm. Like even I was kind of joking with people. I've never in 20 years, I've woken up at 6 a.m. every Sunday, more Easter Sunday morning for 20 years. So my body doesn't really know where I'm at right now. Like wow. when you, when you train your body to wake up at the same time every Sunday and especially on Easter, having those extra hours to get ready. Um, when Easter came, I was just, I didn't even, it didn't feel the same. It felt so different. It didn't feel like Easter. Um, and all the pre-recorded services have felt like that for me since then. Have felt, um, 
I don't know, different. Like I'm experiencing them probably similar to the way our members are. Like I appreciate them. I get something out of them, probably less so since it's me preaching than they get. But, um, I, you know, I get, I get something out of it, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the same way. It's, um, I'm out of my rhythm completely. Mm, yes. Yeah. And hence the need for, and I'm going to, I'm going to get it wrong. Hoopa, hoopamon. That's not right. We need Artemis. Upamine. 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 Yes. For perseverance. Yes. I, I confess I had a year of Greek at Duke and I still had to look up that word. I was like, I don't remember that one. Oh gosh. Um, but yes, that persevering amidst a pandemic, like, you're totally right. Leaster, and I really am calling it Leaster, did not feel like Easter. It just didn't, even mm-hmm. though I knew everybody was doing their best and it just, but there's a loss. And I think that is okay. You know, I think mm-hmm. we need to feel that and stay in that for a little bit. And then we're going to talk about kind of what the outside world is doing in the church and where we all fit into that. But it's okay to sit with all of that for a bit. Um, I think we, we would do our ourself a disservice not to sit with it. Mm. Yeah. So, so, uh, Dana, what does that look like though? What does sitting mm. like, right? Because, you know, I hear that a lot, you know, we just sit with our grief and, you know, sit with our sorrows and what does that look like, especially for people who are, I mean, I'm an introvert, so I sit with myself all the time and I enjoy it. But what does that look like for people who are really struggling right now with a loss of community, um, a loss of being able to process their grief in the ways they're used to? What does it look like to sit with it? Mm, that's a great question. I'm going to raise my hand because I'm the extrovert, super extrovert. <laughs> and so everything has shifted dramatically. And sitting with it means, you know, lots of heaviness. Lots of making space for tears. Um, let's just go through the stages of grief. L- grief, a uh, lots of space for denial, for anger, for bargaining. Um, you know, for sadness. Not much acceptance. I'm not quite there yet. Moments of acceptance, but lots of you know, as Ben and was referring to later, lots of ups and downs. Um, and I think that's it's okay. But it's also um, disconcerting, right? There's a fear, there's an uncertainty there. And I think it's why we have rushed to reopen North Carolina. And that's just my personal opinion. I can unpack that a little bit rather than sitting with the time, because time is the country in which all spiritual practices grow and thrive. And we're not so comfortable with that. And that's a Wayne Muller quote. Um, and Wayne Muller, who wrote a book on Sabbath, is very quick to say that that, and he wrote that book in 1999, right? Before iPhones, um, that we are very uncomfortable in that space of sitting with both ourselves and with others. And I think we're going to continue to be uncomfortable with that, which is why we are making a mad dash to the car, to go out to the store, to go out to eat, to see people. Um, And this is speaking as an extrovert. It's been a big struggle for me, but I've had to find other ways to adjust. And by sort of going back to the liturgical season, by continuing to choose to name this for myself, a perpetual Lent. In fact, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be a Lenten year. Um, Mm. That helps me sit. 
that helps me say, slow down. Time is the country in which spiritual practices grow and thrive. This is your wilderness season. You're an extrovert. You're itching to get out there. You want to be in the classroom, but this is about community um, over the individual. And Mm. so this is a time for um, lying fallow, if you will. Mm. It takes a great deal of self-discipline, I think, for people to do that. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think some people call them spiritual disciplines, not just practices, right? Right, right. totally. <laughs> you actually have to decide you, you're going to do it and, and then make yourself do it for a while before it right. becomes a part of your life. Yeah. Absolutely. And I know we're going to talk about this. I hope we're going to talk about this. Um, there's a certain amount of privilege that goes into even having the time and space mm-hmm. to even talk about this stuff. Um, you know, far way before the pandemic, as I was writing dessert first, preparing for death while savoring life, I thought even to talk about grief is such a freaking privilege, you know, to have the space to even name this and sit with it and talk about what it's like to be able to think and feel, um, all these feelings when, when you lose someone, there's so much privilege embedded in that when so many people do not have time nor space nor resources nor support to do any of that. So you're right. So yes, it definitely takes discipline. And then also naming the privilege that we have and that we have time to exercise that practice and discipline. And it's really sad what, that we aren't right for those of us who do have the privilege because utilizing that privilege exercising the discipline keeps others safe and well and protected and yet we're, we refuse we refuse to do it that's good um that that sparks something in me because i've been sitting with uh, i try not to compare grief uh, my personal grief but um, i've been with why, how different this crisis experience has been versus when I went through Hurricane Katrina. And I think mm. the biggest difference is that I have had time and space to, to just sit with the grief. Um, mm. When I was going through that situation, I mean, this is pretty bad, but you know, not to compare, that was, that was worse. Um, and maybe mm-hmm. there was even more uncertainty, no place to live. What are we going to do? Having to go to school, you know, just keep going and never really having time to sit in the living room mm-hmm. and, and just process. Um, I've been right. deeply about that and it is a privilege and I'm grateful at least for, for me in this moment to have that privilege this time around as opposed to. Yes, exactly. So then the question becomes, how now that we have that awareness and I'm so grateful that you named it, how are we going to respond differently? Right. Mm -hmm. Going back to Ben's um, initial comment on action, right. When we get to the space of action and that can mean a lot of different things, how are we going to do it differently than what we've done previously? And so, yes, I really appreciate that example too, because I, I, we get into the space sometimes of grief Olympics, right? Of of the Olympics of suffering, whose suffering is worse than another when it's all it's, it's human suffering, right? And everyone's circumstances is different. And that's one thing that I've really tried to unpack for people who 
are trying to understand, uh, I'll give, so I'll just, our story as Wake Tech Community College is that we are a community college to students who purposely took seated classes for a reason. They needed community. They needed on-campus resources. They wanted to be together. Their learning styles were that they needed to be in a classroom. And we asked them to make this tremendous shift in the middle of a semester, possibly with no laptop, no consistent internet, right? Who knows what's going on at home? Job loss, you know, instability, fear of uncertainty. Some of them are essential workers. It's like, this is heavy. This is heavy. Mm. And so that is what remained on my mind in terms of the ways in which I've been sitting with the pandemic is honestly thinking about students a lot. And I'm going to get tearful when I talk about them. But hey. When I'm in a classroom, I feel like myself, and they are my family, and they are my community. And so, like, for me, the grief has been missing them and um, and not knowing, like, how they are, um, what's going on in their lives, what do they need, how can I help, um, how, how can we have a discussion in our classroom that's going to be you know, useful and help them navigate this. Cause that was one of the things we were talking about, you know, how does religion and spiritual, how do religion, spiritual indigenous traditions respond to what's happening in the world? We were talking about that prior to the pandemic. They were studying that as scholars, you know, I was, I was, you know, saying to them, you're learning academic theory of religion. You're learning the framework for how these traditions have responded to big questions, you you know, and we could talk about it in the classroom. And then we had to take a sudden, like the door slammed. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were separated physically and that was so hard. And so sitting with the grief of that um, has been tremendous, different from hurricane Katrina to be certain, right. There's so many more solidified factors in place that make this um, quote unquote easier than navigating a situation like that. But it also on the level of human heart and grief and suffering, that's the connection. And that's what I'm hoping for more of is that if nothing else, my prayer for this pandemic is that it will cultivate and deepen our empathy for one another. That is my prayer. That's a, that's a great prayer. Um, I love that prayer. And I hope everybody who's listening just sits with that for a second. Um, you know, I wonder to your, to, to what Mia raised about Hurricane Katrina and what you're saying, it reminds me of this book that I've been recommending to a lot of people called Unattended Sorrow mm. by Stephen Levine. Mm-hmm. And it talks a lot about what happens when we don't attend to our sorrow and trauma and, um, and what life becomes for us. Um, and then what, what we can do to, to attend to it, even if it's very old in our lives and we need to go back to it. So I, you know, I know you study this. Um, I think, I think some, some folks in the midst of this, in the difference that this is, this pandemic is than a Katrina, will imagine that their time at home will be automatic processing time. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course we have to choose to process even when we have nothing else to do. 
right? Because we can easily go turn on Netflix and or grab a book or Mm -hmm. cook or have a conversation or surf the internet or whatever the many ways are to distract us from the pain of the moment. Um, mm. to numb our, there's so much spiritual numbing and other oh, kinds gosh, of numbing, yes. mm-hmm. but and maybe you can talk to some folks who here on this, like, what happens if we do that? What's going to mm. happen to us when we come down the road as this continues on and on for months and months and we don't attend to our, our mm. grief about this? Mm. That's a great question. Um, I've seen it in the news cycle. I'm going to start there. I, I think you're right. I'm, uh, and I will be the first to admit that um, I will happily hop on TikTok, you know, and just waste my minutes away <laughs> with the latest, you know, savage dance or whatever's going on. And so I'm the first to do that. And I think it's okay to give ourselves breaks, right? It's okay. But what I have seen in the news cycle that I think mirrors the personal experience, the human experience of this, is that. We miss the meaning, right? Um, It's so much more difficult to sit with the grief, the anger, the emotions. um, And that's how you create meaning out of it. The fear is that you're going to drown in it, right? The fear is that, oh my gosh, if I let myself feel this, I'm going to die. I'm going to die of emotional heartbreak. I'm not going to be able to handle it. And in some cases, for some people, perhaps they don't have the support system. They don't have the relationships in place. Perhaps they are in an unsafe shelter environment with another person who, and it's toxic or unhealthy. And so they do need to be careful in how they wade through those emotions. But for most of us, especially in this space that we're talking about, we can afford to sit with those, the ocean of these feelings. And when we don't, we miss the meaning, right? So we've missed the opportunity to make meaning and meaning is what makes us human. Meaning is what also what makes us spiritual individuals, right? Um, but also then we, we make some mistakes in our action. And I see this in the news cycle in that when we first started in March, you know, it was human focused. We were thinking about people. We were focused on caring for people. The North Carolina stay at home order, all of April was focused on keeping people safe. And then boom, May, we're outside, we're going to the store, we're spending money. Don't forget to spend that stimulus check. Don't forget to go out, 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 um, gather for church. Um, just all these ridiculous things. And so we've automatically skipped it and focused, it went, the shift went from humanity, meaning, making sense out of this time, making sense out of suffering, being there for one another, being accountable to economics, just Mm -hmm. zero to 60. And what's lost in that is that we don't learn lessons, right? We don't learn lessons of what it means to be connected, what it means to be empathetic, what it means to put community over the individual, what it means to be community, what it means to be accountable, responsible, and then our actions down the road suffer. Um, And and you all have done such a good job of of helping people stay in the space of making meaning at Myers Park. You really, you're good at that. That is one of your many, many gifts. Whereas my fear is that many church communities are going to rush towards, you know, getting out there without understanding what's just happened and the significance um, of what 
how it's going to unfurl in people's lives for years to come. If you think about someone who has lost a loved one during the pandemic um, and they weren't, they couldn't be with their loved one at that bedside during their death, Mm. that's going to leave a, that's going to leave a pretty profound impact for the remainder of that individual's life, especially if they haven't explored it deeply by sitting with it. Wow. That, that makes me think about the, how the word upomene, upomene yes. means, means mm-hmm. also patience, right? Like, patience. and, and I, I am reminded of our time at Duke, which you'll remember Dana about mm-hmm. how we were um, sort of blunt force trauma taught, that yes. um, that impatience is a form of violence. Yes. Mm-hmm. That impatience almost always leads to some kind of violence. Yes. And so right now we're seeing some of that. Like that was usually taught in the context of war. Like right. if you just take time to think longer mm-hmm. for diplomacy, for other mm-hmm. things that you can avoid mm-hmm. violence. Um, but in this particular case, it seems like it, our impatience is leading to this reopen, which mm-hmm. of course is, is a subtle act of violence. So maybe not so subtle mm-hmm. act of violence. But oh, it I mean, is, it's uh, blatant now at this point, it's, yeah. it's blatant violence. And, it, you know, um, I've seen some of the videos of people actually getting in fights restaurants right. and grocery oh, yes. stores. I mean, it's, it's violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Or yeah, telling somebody to wear a mask and they won't, and then they get angry and, and yeah. they're violent. That's, and right. There's, and there's going to probably be more of that, I think, as before there's less. Yeah. I agree, and that's what hurts so bad. I felt like in in April, we the first of April, we had some sense of solidarity because we were afraid. We were afraid, but and we were we wanted to care for one another, and there were many more unknowns. But then as soon as we began to lose some of our personal freedoms, right, and things began to feel claustrophobic, then we rushed to that impatience, you're right, which does lead to violence in many forms. Yeah, what happened to the we're all in this together of April? Right, Uh, right. It's gone now. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. And there were nuances of that that we had to acknowledge that, you know, together meant a lot of different things. But in terms of humanity, yeah, the the need to be empathetic, that was we're in it together in that we need to be compassionate and empathetic towards one another and do what we can in the space that we've been given in our circumstances. But that's, that's gone. And it's, it's very disconcerting. Um, and well, what's going to be interesting, and this is the big unknown is where will we find ourselves in the fall? So hence perseverance, right? Patience and perseverance. This is not, this is going to be a long theological and spiritual exercise and discipline. I don't think it's going to, um, I I don't think there's going to be any shortage of, of, um, challenges to help us exercise our theological and spiritual muscles. Yeah. So how do we, I'm curious, how do we live then in community with people Mm -hmm. we may love or not, that are not practicing perseverance or who are not practicing patience at this time. And I'm thinking about, you know, I mean, I, I love my mother, but I'm thinking about people who are, you know, anxious to get out and go to the nail salon or, I mean, how supposed to maintain our own spiritual fortitude in community with those who are not practicing anything right now Mm. related to patience, right? 
That's a great question. Um, and I, I'd, li- I'd actually love to hear y'all's answers on this too. My go-to answer is we model it for them. We just simply model it for them. Um, we look to uh, the folks who are doing it well. We, we do what we can in our sphere of influence. So for instance, you know, we have family members and friends who are going out and traveling and um, doing a lot of shopping and I just continue to self-isolate. Um, and they, they kind of look at me funny and think that that's strange and, and weird, but I can't, you know, my heart goes to transit workers, to sanitation workers, to grocery store workers, to those who have to be out right now working on their feet with little support and safety, um, police officers, essential workers, healthcare workers, folks, uh, CNAs in nursing homes and assisted living facilities, you know, so many vocations that remain unseen to us, right, until we need it, um, that I'm, I'm choosing the thing that I can do. I have a choice as to how I spend my time and my money and I can choose to stay home because I have that privilege being an online teacher now, an online professor. And so that's what I'm going to do for the duration. And it's going to, I'm going to get some uh, pushback from friends and family members, but that's okay because I know that that's what I can do. And if it helps keep one person safer, then that's one person safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, that makes me want to ask you about the future a little bit and uh, not necessarily just in a hopeful way, but um, one of our podcast guests so far on the Upamane podcast has suggested that maybe the word perseverance is not the best word, mm-hmm. although it seems like patience is working pretty well yeah, for us today, Totally, but, but that the word perseverance um, might might uh, might be misleading to misleading folks to think that we're going to return back to the way things are mm. that it's just all we need to do is get through so mm-hmm. we can go back mm. um, all we need to do is try to go, go back to the status quo go back to what it was and so some were suggesting maybe we should call this transforming um, mm. or changing or mm-hmm. adjusting you know through the through a through a pandemic. Mm. Um, so I, I guess my question is, sir, what have you, what do you think we've learned mm. about ourselves that we need to hold after this is over? And, mm. um, and, and, and what, what could the future look like if we learned the lessons of this pandemic? Mm. My goodness. Those are great questions. I'll start with the future and then circle back around to lessons. I think what the future could hold for us, what I'm hopeful that the future could hold, we've talked about empathy for sure. I'm also hopeful that we have a heightened awareness on economic structure and labor in this country. Um, That's what I'm hopeful for, that the veil has been pulled back to acknowledge and to see, like literally see delivery drivers, see restaurant workers, see healthcare workers, you know, see sanitation workers, transportation workers, grocery stores. I mean, for so long, I think we moved around the world, just taking all the, the, the idea that we are a service-based economy for granted, right? And that 
capitalism makes its money off the backs of the poor. I mean, let's just name it. Um, and so my hope is that the, the Band-Aid has been ripped off a bit on that. I'm not quite certain that maybe we'll get a glimpse of that. I hope, I pray in the future and that we will be more mindful of how our system works, how our economy works. If nothing else, perhaps we've learned those lessons of how, how this machine works. And so that's kind of at a greater, um, bigger um, macro um, looking out into the future. I'm also hopeful that the lessons we've learned about ourselves are what do we like when everything is stripped from us, right? Mm. Who are we when we don't have our jobs or our classrooms or our churches or our certainty mm. or our go, 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 shop, 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 do, 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 bye, bye, bye attitudes? Who are we really when we're stripped down to those bare minimums? Who are we when we are alone with ourselves, sitting with really tough emotions? How do we act? How do we respond? Um, I know for myself, it's given me a lot of lessons. I've learned that I need to be a more integrated person in terms of showing up out there the same way I show up in here at home. One of the places that I do that well is in the classroom. And so my hope moving in the future is that the way I show up for my students is the way that I will show up for other adults. Because with students, I can be authentically myself. And in other spaces, I can't always be that person. And so that has been the great takeaway for me. Um, because I have been stripped of my classroom. I have been stripped of that relationship with them in person. And so that has been a great awakening into the integration of who I am as a person. That was a long rambling answer. No, I think that's <laughs> Obviously, powerful. I'm still sorting it out. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, hopefully the lessons are discovering who we are when we don't have all the things that we take for granted every day. And then the lesson for the future is um, who we are as an economy um, without all the things that we take for granted every day. So perhaps a, a pulling back the curtain, if you will, on the big system, the macro system, but also the micro and the meta at home, both and. Yeah, that's good. I like that. That's yes. Yeah. Y'all are kind. Thank you. <laughs> I thought about the big system, you know, that's, that's what, right. yeah. I was my brain ask just goes there. Injustice, you know, yeah, <laughs> failing the yes. injustice. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, I was having a conversation on Facebook, I guess, a couple of days ago for God Talk Live that we do on Facebook, and mm -hmm. somebody mentioned the things that they've had to adjust to at home. And what came out of that conversation was that justice starts at home, and so yes. a lot of us, uh, progressives or liberals or whatever you want to call us are so focused on the big system, the economic injustice and the racial injustice and the migrant mm -hmm. injustice. And there is some stuff happening within us, but also in our immediate personal circles that need to be attended to. Um, and I think that this, this time of reflection, if you're using this time as reflection, um, can really lead to that personal unveiling that you were just talking about. Oh, that's lovely, Mia. Thank you. Justice starts at home and impatience leads to violence. Mm 
Man, that'll preach y'all. <laughs> I think you have your sermon series for the, for, um, for Lentecost. Yes. Lentecost. Nice. Yeah. Lentecost. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for that because that's where the spiritual practices come in hand, right? Right. That's mm-hmm. where if justice starts at home, well then how are we going to learn, be, and do justice? Right. Yeah. We do that in our tradition, the Christian tradition, the Baptist tradition through spiritual practices and disciplines. Yeah. And so that's what, um, that's what I hope we can all lean into some specifics on that. Mm-hmm. I know you want to tell us to meditate more. So just tell us. <laughs> I do. Oh, thank you, Ben. Us. I was waiting for that. You, I, you noticed that yeah, that was a very leading comment. Yes. Your invitation to meditation. Sure. And you know what? My meditation practice right now this morning, it was four minutes of eyes open, darting around the room thinking, Oh gosh, <laughs> here comes Lentecost, <laughs> you know, but that's a meditation. That's a meditation because the intention is there. The intention is that I'm sitting, I'm going to do my best to listen to you, God. Um, and I'm going to do my best to make meaning in this moment. And that friends is a spiritual practice. Yeah. I think in addition to, to med- meditation or as a form of meditation, I should say, um, that just taking a moment each day to find something to be grateful for, which mm-hmm. there usually is, Mm-hmm. Even if it's just your breathing, right? Because right now oh, a lot yes. of people are not, um, right? Or you're, or for me, like you're still working, you're still getting mm-hmm. paid. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it could just and these and the gratitudes can also become an an escalated revealing of your own privilege. So it's called both. Yes. It's both gratitude and confession. It's both mm-hmm. prayer. It's two different kinds of prayer at the same time if you do it right. It's, it's all of these oh, levels yes. where you, you see yourself in relationship and relief to the rest of the world and you, you're grateful, but you're also humbled um, and need to confess um, that, that relationship to the suffering of the world at the same time. I mm-hmm. think that can be a form of meditation too. For sure. Absolutely. Naming that and it's an Ignatian practice, right? That's an Ignatian examine at the end of the day. Showing, looking for the presence of God, naming gratitude in our case, you know, thinking about privilege and how that's connected. Absolutely. Keeping a journal, you know, I hope that folks are keeping a pandemic journal, if you will, if they have some space to do that, um, because I think that's going to be really helpful in uh, learning um, who we are and how justice is or isn't starting at home. So another Another good spiritual practice. Thank you. I'm going to keep that in mind. Gratitude and confession going hand in hand. Well, you're right. It's the name of Ignatian. I hadn't even thought about it as that, but you're right. It's sort of, it's very much the examine. It is. Yeah, totally. Yep. And I, I want to emphasize for folks, you know, these don't have to be complicated um, or nor perfect. And I think the messier things are right now, the more authentic they are. Um, you know, like I've been kind of a mess, this podcast tearful and I've got like, you know, my Kleenex and my, it's, it's like, this is real friends. This is, this is, this is what it looks like. Um, and so my hope and my prayers that people, I I hope the veneer has been removed. You know, maybe that's another lesson from the pandemic is that we've, um, we've ripped off this shiny gloss and we're showing more of who we are authentically Mm -hmm. and that spiritual practice, life, justice, living, breathing is messy. It's messy. Um, and so, yeah, I hope we're seeing that and naming that and still persevering through that. 
transforming through that. Mm. Messy, messy spirituality. That's a that's a good book. It's uh, there's one uh, called that by Michael Iaconelli. I don't know if you know that book, but uh, yes, yes, it, it talks a lot about the messiness of our spiritual journeys, and that's important. It is important, and I'm I, not to offer a judgment, but if it's if it's not messy, I'm not so sure it's um it's that fruitful. Mm. I think the the fruit is in the mess, quite honestly. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Sermon. We have so many sermons. <laughs> so many sermons. Preach. <laughs> oh, I can use this sermon fodder because uh, you know yeah. it's hard to have an. It's hard to have an imagination right now. It's just like, you know, every, all the creativity in the world is needed and it's not always right on your fingertips. Like it usually is right now. It's just like, this is why we need each other and we need to share ideas. Oh gosh, that's so true. Yes. Yes. These new ways of doing community are so important because these four walls don't offer many sermon illustrations, but talking to people, being there for people that it does. It does yeah. like this is living. And right now these are the tools we have to live with. And gosh, aren't we fortunate? You know, that's where that gratitude mm-hmm. and confession mm-hmm. to come, it comes in. Cause thinking about the influence of 1918 and how folks didn't have these tools mm-hmm. and how isolated they must've felt. I mean, we read diaries now and we know that, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. goodness gracious, can you imagine moving through this without the tools that we do have in place? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, so let us learn lessons that we can then take into the future with us, um, because invariably there will be another crisis of sorts, and we will have to meet at that intersection of faith and crisis, and use our practices and our history and what we've learned to navigate through. Yeah. Yeah. Good words. Yes. Thank you. For- thank you. This has been fruitful. Thank you. <laughs> oh, been messy. Yeah, it's been messy and fruitful. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Exactly. Amen. Yes. Thank you all so much. Thank You're you such a blessing. Today, um, this has been a great conversation. And I think that it's something that um, our people can, and all people can really uh, take to heart as we learn how to sit with our grief at the time. And to move through this journey with some sort of spiritual practice that will offer us moments of reflection as we mm. here, right? Mm. Yes. Amen. Thank you, Reverend McLean. Thank you, Dr. Boswell. Y'all are incredible. You've, you've given me a lot of hope through this pandemic. So thank you. We will, we will persevere with patience. Yes. Thank you. Dana, thank you. You are a true friend of Myers Park Baptist Church. We love you. Our people love you. And it's uh, they're going to just love the chance to, to hear from you in the midst of this. So thank you. Oh, thank you all so much. I love you all very much, too. Thank you. Thanks for having me.